Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, 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 and welcome, ladybirds and gentle lemurs, to the Human Nature Podcast. Here we explore the ups and downs of being Homo sapiens and learn a thing or two on how to be a better animal. My name is Elliot Connor, and I'm at least half elephant, but the star of the show today is none other than Roy Kimmy, a submersible pilot, diving instructor, and virtual reality filmmaker. Welcome, Roy. Thank you, Elliot. Great to be here. Awesome. So I hear you've chosen to speak about hammerheads on the show today. Can you tell me a bit about your relationship with sharks, how that love formed, and uh, some of the work you do in communicating, uh, getting past that phobia many people share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, you know, my journey into the sharks world, so to say, uh, actually started at Costa Rica. Um, so after my military service, I flew to Costa Rica just as a you know, very enthusiastic uh, diver uh, wanting to encounter sharks and, and really face uh, the fear that I think all of us have. Um, and, you know, it was just incredible. And I had to take a boat and sail for about 30 hours to a remote place called Cocos Island, which is in the eastern tropical Pacific. It's... Um, it's actually the only island with fresh water in the region. And, you know, it has a lot of history with pirates and, uh, you know, a lot of people refer it as Jurassic Park because actually the first shot in the movie uh, was taken there. Um, and it's really, it's heaven on earth. It's, it's a protected area. It's a world heritage site. It's, um, it's a place where you have a lot of pelagic, you know, open ocean migrations um, such as sharks, whales, dolphin, you name it. Um, it's a real paradise. And one of the things that are really, really special about Cocos is the fact that the hammerhead sharks migrate there. Um, they don't necessarily come to feed there, but they are coming to get cleaned. So they have cleaning stations with little fish that clean up their parasites that they, they gather after very long uh, oceanic travels. So this was the first time I met uh, a shark, you know, in hand and properly and face to face. Um, but hammerheads are quite unique because um, they actually, you know, a lot of sharks has uh, six senses, um, but, but hammerhead sharks actually have another sense, a seventh sense. Uh, they have an, an ability to feel the electromagnetic fields of the earth, um, and they actually can feel you. So, you know, if you're very excited, if you are, if your heartbeat is, is, is rising up, if, if, you, if you're not calm, um, you know, they, they will not come any near you. 
um, and they will not get close to you. So it was kind of funny because, you know, I'm coming with this fear, um, you know, trying to face this amazing apex predator um, of the oceans. And, and then you see that they are afraid of you more than you're afraid of them. Uh, so I think, you know, that that was a very interesting realization for me um, and a journey that I've pursued ever since. No, it sounds like an incredible opportunity for sure. Uh, certainly uh, some memories there. Uh, you would have made uh, some experiences to remember. Uh, I found it fascinating as well, uh, what you were saying about that seven sense of the hammerheads. I think it's so beyond our realm of the human experience, uh, what we know from our limited perception of the world, uh, trying to get inside essentially the mind of another uh, living creature, an alien uh, to our way of seeing the world. Uh, it reminds me of a story, uh, you may have heard it, of Hans the Horse. So uh, this happened, I think, maybe a century ago. And uh, Hans uh, was a horse held by, I think it was a German professor, and uh, he tried to teach it maths and uh, basically taught it as you would a young child. So all sorts of subjects, maths, English, uh, bits and pieces. Uh, but it completely blew away uh, scientists at the time uh, because to all extents and appearances, it seemed to be doing really, really well. An incredibly intelligent creature. It was getting all these questions right. It had the uh, level of maybe a five-year-old, uh, really incredible uh, for what we knew for science at the time. Uh, but <laughs> essentially what they later worked out, and this took several years of experimentation, uh, was that the horse was sensing from uh, the person, the experimenter, uh, sitting or standing beside them when it was getting close to the right answer. So it was sensing that they were getting nervous or excited or having that sense of anticipation. So it knew, say, when it was counting, where it was trying to get to, uh, what the end goal was. And, I mean, <laughs> it managed to fool scientists for years and years. Uh, so uh, that's just one small example. But if we trying to uh, learn what it is to be a shark, to see the world as they see it, those are some of the challenges we face, uh, certainly not knowing uh, what their perception is, uh, what their emotional experience is, how they see the world, how they experience it. And so, so much to learn. Uh, but I think that's a fascinating point of yours. I'm interested as well in some of uh, the work that you do, obviously, as a filmmaker, as this a communicator, uh, then surely you will have encountered, uh, I guess, the opposite uh, to some of those experiences you were describing. Uh, so there is that incredible beauty out in nature, but there's also so, so much destruction going on. I think the classic uh, figure is maybe 100 million sharks killed each year by humans. Uh, that may be outdated now, uh, but I think, yeah, it's certainly incredible scale of destruction and really keen to hear your own experiences of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I, I think that before we talk about any kind of story about the natural world, we really need to capture people's attention and and talk about beauty and talk about connection. Um, because, you know, I, I, I never start or I try to never start with um, the grim reality, which is very, it is very grim. I mean, um, you mentioned it very well, you know, we're talking about an estimation of 100 million shark. No one really knows because there is no tracking of the fishing efforts um, or any proper, you know, um, counting for the amounts of sharks being landed. A lot of activities is happening, um, you know, in international waters and open sea. 
Um, you know, the, there is there, there are there are ways to try to battle um, you know the illegal trade in sharks. Um, you know, organizations like CITES, the IUCN. Um, and amazing, amazing people that are working to try to regulate it around the world. But it's very tricky. It's very hard. Um, you know, and just recently, um, you know, we've heard that there might be something in sharks that might relate to a vaccine for the coronavirus, for COVID. Um, you know, and, and people started to raise their voices. Oh, you know, they want to kill a, a half a million shark, which is awful. But, you know, we're doing much, much worse than that for many, many years. Now, back to my personal experience, at this very same trip that I went to Cocos and met this, you know, beautiful hammerhead sharks and, and really had this kind of realization that I was completely wrong from what I thought about them, you know, considering um, movies like Jaws or, or Shark Week or the way that the media is communicating, um, let's say, the, the shark's reputation. Um, and at the very same trip, I actually stumbled upon uh, poaching efforts and illegal fishing inside the marine protected area. Um, and, you know, we, I remember it, it was so cinematic, you know, it's one day it was very cloudy. It was, was rainy, which is very common in Cocos because we're talking about seven, 7,000 millimeters of rain every year. So it's raining a lot. It's tropical. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're sailing to the dive site with a little inflatable, um, and then we see, you know, a few things like plastics around around the dive site, and you know, and, and then I see the face of the diving instructor turning completely white, and you know, he's trying to explain us in broken Spanish that you know the, 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 these are dead sharks, and we have to cancel the dive because the poaching activities have invaded uh, the protected waters. Um, and it was it was very you know it was very powerful to me, and I think that was a moment where I realized I had to do something about it. Back then, I was not making documentaries. I was making conceptual underwater photography, so making images that has this kind of message. Um, and, and I really try to capture a message um, in a visual way. Um, so I started to do that, but I started to document. You know, I, I remember I, I just lift up my stills cameras and, and started to document the reality as I saw it and making interviews with Spanish speakers when I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> Um, but you know, long, long, long story short, you know, if, if we're looking a few years down the line, my last film, it, it was a, it was a VR film that we made in Guadalupe Island in Mexico. Um, it was with the great white sharks and, and it's really taking the viewer through an experience where he or she dives with the great whites for the first time and see how they actually behave. Um, and it's a very it's a very exciting experience because you know the the narration is sort of like going with you and guiding you through the experience not not with with an intention to get you scared on the opposite it's to show you how wrong our perception of shark is and how beautiful they are you know they, they are it's like seeing lions in the savanna it's it's seeing the top predators of the ocean you know four hundred million years in the making um, and those animals are just beautiful and, and powerful and the energy they have in the water is just, it's outstanding. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, we cannot talk about um, the beauty without the green. Um, and I think that, you know, people need to see sharks for what they are um, and really try to learn more about it and see what they can do about it. 
Right. I think it's a really beautiful point you make about obviously sharks being these ancient apex predators, 400 million years, you say. I've got a megalodon tooth on my desk. I'm not currently in my office, uh, but yeah, I have that sitting on my desk at home. And just looking at that, I collect fossils, I collect rocks and minerals. Uh, So knowing some of the history behind that, uh, some of the incredible stories uh, that these objects have to tell, and that one about the sharks in particular, uh, this survival against the odds over mass extinctions and what have you, incredible creatures. Uh, So, yeah, I think they do deserve a lot more respect, a lot more appreciation and leading, of course, to that protection, these conservation measures. I was uh, listening uh, watching as well a, a video, a comparison clip recently in which they had a, I think it was a great white, uh, but they had it to a classic a sort of documentary uh, thriller uh, soundtrack. So what you may expect to hear, uh, what we have heard growing up with accompanying uh, these animals. So whatever. Uh, so they had it with that and they had it with some nice peaceful music. So uh, imagine like uh, Grieg's morning mood. And it makes such a difference. It completely, completely changes your perception of how you view these animals, uh, just, just how it's framed. So, yeah, I think uh, the way humans have treated sharks, the way we grow up to view them is very, very much part of that conditioning. Uh, so... I guess that brings me on to my next question for you, uh, which is looking at, I guess, in your personal journey and some of uh, the people you've worked with, some of the projects you've worked on, how do you believe uh, we as individuals and as humanity can overcome that fear? Uh, What are some of the solutions you've seen? Well, this is a great question, Elliot. You know, know, if, if we were talking a year back, you know, before the pandemic, I would probably tell you, you know, we just need to get people in the water. We need to go out of this urban societies and and, and areas and and really try to connect with the wild, really take the time to see for ourselves, Um, you know, because as you say, the the power of media is, is powerful. You can watch a film that can guide your emotional journey towards one direction or, you know, 180 degrees to the other side. Um, so, you know, I think that once people experience things firsthand, um, you know, it, it really changes the way we treat nature and, and it really, I think, give us the right motivation, a motivation that comes from love, um, in order to do something about it. Now we're in a very different world today, right? I mean, Israel is currently under lockdown and, um, you know, many, many places in the world are not as accessible. The tourism industry, you know, was hit very bad. Um, but this is, I think, where virtual reality becomes very interesting. Because, you know, with with the film I told you about, with the Great Whites, you know, I can literally send it to anyone on the planet and he can go through the experience. Now, obviously, you know, technology is still not able to give you the same kind of experience when you are literally there. Um, because of course it has its power but at the same time i think that you know storytellers such as yourself and many others you know that that we have such an enormous opportunity to bring the wild back to the urban to bring the wild back to people Um, and i think that this this is really you know our responsibility maybe even our duty you know to to try to show the natural world in a very different way 
um, because, you know, we all know that, you know, human population is increasing. It doesn't seem to stop anytime soon. Um, and, you know, just yesterday I watched the new release of uh, the David Attenborough um, film and he talked a lot about it. You know, so much have changed in the past 50 years. You know, the world that he was born to is so different from this world. So, you know, I think that today for creators, there is such an enormous opportunity to tell a different story to people and to try to overcome this, you know, limitations that we have um, from the pandemic to get people closer to nature rather than apart from it. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned David Attenborough's Life on Our Planet, uh, this new documentary of his. Uh, so uh, some of how his messaging has changed as well in recent years in terms of uh, looking at the urgency of the situation, uh, the crisis we're at. Uh, so how his approach has changed and perhaps how uh, the uh, field has uh, merged, uh, has uh, morphed, has transformed uh, increasingly uh, with new issues and new challenges. As you say, uh, we're headed, projected to reach uh, 10 billion, uh, being where our population caps then hopefully stabilizes, maybe declines slightly, uh, but 10 billion people is a huge load on our planet. So uh, where that's going to lead us, uh, how can we sustain that population is a huge challenge. It's a challenge of my generation and possibly yours as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really fascinated uh, by uh, perhaps how we can move forward. Uh, sharks being uh, a brilliant example of a particularly a vulnerable a group of animals, a particularly a vulnerable ecosystem they live in as well. Uh, so trying to protect them as uh, this symbol of the oceans as this apex predator uh, being a tremendous challenge uh, but that applies for all living creatures uh, and uh, the recent report from WWF their latest update on the living planet showed I think it's two-thirds of animals in terms of population have declined uh, so a really really shocking uh, loss of biodiversity and just loss of abundance of these creatures as well because uh, when we talk about extinction we're talking about loss of species uh, but equally important is uh, just uh, these sloping and often accelerating declines uh, of the populations of the animals themselves as you end up with them uh, becoming effectively extinct they no longer fulfill uh, their roles in the ecosystem sharks being uh, this regulating so i think it was mentioned in uh, maybe the Our Planet, uh, that documentary series, uh, they had a sequence uh, with uh, the reef sharks showing how they uh, kept in check the different types of fish on the reef. So you had those uh, which attack the coals, those which protect them, and trying to maintain that balance. So really, really important to understand how these cycles, these flows work within the ecosystem. Now, I personally used to have an extreme phobia of sharks uh, it used to be my one big fear, uh, but I live in Sydney. I'm by the coast, so I do get out in the water quite a lot. Uh, snorkeling, um, I'd love to learn to dive, uh, but snorkeling for now, swimming uh, along the coast, some brilliant spots. Uh, so I do come face to face uh, with the Port Jackson sharks, wobbegongs, uh, all those sorts. Uh, but it's, it's something I've overcome and really grateful for it. Uh, so I definitely think there's something to be said uh, for connecting people to nature, which, giving them these experiences, be it in person or, as you say, through film. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really keen to hear as well a bit more about what you think of these emerging technologies, about 
obviously yourself working virtual reality. I don't think we'll get to augmented uh, for uh, filming sharks, uh, but yeah, what do you think the role is of, for example, virtual reality or got eDNA being another one on the list and all of these new strategies coming into place uh, for protecting the marine ecosystems? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, you know, virtual reality, I think we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I think there is there is a great example of how powerful this um, this technology is. So, for example, there is the experience where, um, you know, you put your headset and you are on a cliff and you know you're in the room, but you're being asked to take a step forward. And it's just amazing how many people that know that they are in the room and they talk to people around them, they can't take that step. They can't take that leap. And it's just, it's just amazing to me because it just shows how much power um, this technology has because, you know, our brains are, are, are evolved in such a, it's such an interesting way. And I think that, you know, once, if we use this kind of technology to build an empathy machine and really make people uh, feel for different animals or feel for, you know, different people. There was a film that was made um, by Chris Melk. He's a Canadian uh, filmmaker, um, which he made, he made a film about a little um, uh, climate refugee, Syrian refugees camp in Syria, um, and took that VR film to the decision makers in the UN just before they decided you know, how, how, how many people or how many uh, um, new immigrants they're going to take. And I think that, you know, we should do this. We should use this technology for doing good in the world, for, for really try to influence people. And for example, I'm currently working on a new VR project, which is specifically about hammerhead sharks. I have to close the cycle. Um, and it, I'm making it with Amberjack Films, which is a UK-based um, production company led by Andy Byatt, which was the producer and director of the first Blue Planet, Planet Earth. We talked about uh, David earlier. Uh, he worked with him quite a lot. Um, and, you know, what we're trying to do in the next project is not just have a sort of an observational experience, but rather an interactive experience. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. I can't speak too much about it, but I'll tell you a bit what it is. Um, it's, it's an experience when you are becoming a submarine pilot and you learn about the life support system of the sub and how to operate it and how to keep your oxygen levels, um, you know, in the right spot at all times. Um, and it's, it's quite challenging, but, you know, during the experience, you will join the Armorhead Sharks. You will meet, you will meet, uh, meet the school um, in the deep waters, and you will start to learn how to see the world like them through their senses. So that means that, you know, we spoke about this electromagnetic field. Something amazing about the Sphirna Lewini, the scallop hammerhead shark, is that there is an underwater uh, mountain ridge between Cocos Island, Galapagos Islands, and Malpelo, which is part of Colombia. And we know that these sharks are migrating along those ridges. So imagine if you would sit, you know, in Sydney and you would be able to feel the, the, the topography of the mountains all the way to the west coast of Australia. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing. So we're really playing around with how can we make people see the world, feel the world in a different way um, while needing to interact with it. So they have to do things. It's not, it's not exactly a game, but it, it will have a few features from the gaming world 
in order to make it much more real. So that takes me back to this example with, you know, this cliff scenario when you just need to take the step forward and how powerful it is. Uh, we hope that we will make the very same thing with, you know, our next project. Yeah, I mean, sounds incredible uh, what you're trying to do in terms of, I mean, bridging that gap uh, between uh, people who may not have these experiences, uh, getting out in nature, seeing the animals themselves. And COVID's brought home that unfortunate truth in terms of so, so many people uh, won't be able to travel, won't get to the Cocos Islands uh, as you have, and, uh, see these incredible sights. Uh, but then if they can have that immersive experience, uh, imagine piloting a submarine, uh, seeing these sharks firsthand, uh, getting into their world. Uh, that's so, so powerful in terms of uh, the example you gave uh, with the cliff edge uh, trying to jump off. I mean, that's incredible. It reminds me of uh, the Matrix scene in that classic movie uh, where they're in the loading program and you have to jump. It's all about belief, uh, but uh, trying to change some of those long-held uh, beliefs, perspectives we as humans have it can be really challenging. Uh, so uh, the use of programs like that, the use of VR, the use of these immersive experiences uh, really could be the solution in terms of getting people uh, to experience nature and getting people to understand it better. Uh, because ultimately that's uh, the missing factor, I think, in environmentalism. People don't know enough about it. There's that knowledge gap. And people don't know how to assist in uh, helping these species to recover and lessening their environmental footprint as well so it all ties together it's all that web of life uh, but really really important some of those points you mentioned uh, just this January I was doing some filming with a company called Wild Earth TV and what they do again is uh, along this interactive space so trying to reach out to the viewers in particular uh, but through a different format they live stream safari drives uh, for six hours a day. Uh, so I was in their camp, uh, Juma, uh, northeast of South Africa, uh, near the Kruger National Park. Uh, so beautiful area, uh, but they send out two full drives each day uh, for two uh, safaris and they live stream. Uh, they uh, send whatever they come across. Uh, I was a cameraman, so filming from the back uh, to a million monthly viewers, I think it is. So impressive size following. Uh, and they basically show people what it's really like to be out there in nature as opposed to maybe what you might get from a blue chip documentary. So having maybe an hour of a documentary, an hour of, of footage shot over four years, which is very unrealistic, very condensed. It's a different format entirely. Uh, but yeah, the live streaming allows them to take questions from viewers. It allows them to have games interact on a much more personal level. Uh, so it makes it... I think much more engaging as a viewer, as an audience member, and it definitely helps them to learn a lot more uh, from the experience. So I think as we move into these emerging technologies, live streaming VR being two great examples, uh, then uh, that really is where the solution lies. And uh, if you look uh, 50 years back or more, uh, then you have obviously the whaling scenario. Uh, so uh, that being this landmark conservation case, uh, we had the recordings of Whale Song kick that off. So uh, I think it was actually a, a Navy. It was the uh, US Army that managed to take them first. Uh, but this got out into the public eventually, inspired heaps of musicians, uh, heaps of environmentalists, created this whole public movement and led to the whaling ban in 92, uh, thereabouts, I think. So, yeah, really, really powerful 
uh, some of uh, this uh, public momentum you can gather from technologies, uh, from uh, giving people the experience of connecting with other animals. So it's, it's incredible the work you do is what I'm trying to say. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Roy, today. I've just got one more question and uh, linking back to your own experience, of course. I'm keen to, I guess, plot the course of your journey because obviously you've had some incredible experiences. I mean, how do you get to be a submarine pilot? (laughs) How did that journey track for you and how did you get into the environmental space? Um, first of all, thank you. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here and it's it's great to speak with someone like you, which is for me very inspiring because seeing, you know, your passion and, and how you try to pursue your, you know, getting this message out there through your cameras or through your creative vision. I think, first of all, um, this is amazing. So thank you. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, getting into this, to, to this world was really by accident. It was, you know, during... A very, a very long traveling um, um, years. And, you know, I, I'm coming from being an underwater photographer. Um, so this kind of, you know, vision for imagery and, and diving was always there since I was about 14, 15 years old. Um, in Israel, you know, we have uh, the, the most northern point of the Red Sea. So this is where I, you know, fell in love uh, with the reefs and the underwater world uh, for the first time. But only once I started to really travel with not less than, you know, two big bags, 25 kilograms each. I was traveling heavy um, with the camera gear and the diving gear and everything all around Central America. Um, You know, for me, I think, you know, just seeing poaching firsthand was one of the things that really, let's say, planted the seed to do something about it. Uh, but then I met so many amazing people, uh, you know, along the way, amazing conservationists and people that are dedicating their lives to save animals and save species. And I, I can't emphasize enough that sharks are just an example. They're a microcosmos of what's happening all around the ocean. And their overfishing is is not, it's not just about sharks. I think they're just such a powerful example for animals that we don't want to protect because media is so powerful. And you gave such a great example with the whales, you know. Um, you know, everyone wants to protect whales because they're, they're cute and they're mammals and we find more uh, things in common with them, maybe on an evolutionary standpoint. Um, but with sharks, it's quite different. So this is why I think, you know, it's, it's very important to uh, communicate their story. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, even though today we're seeing so many bad news and, and, you know, a lot of people are get depressed and anxiety and, and, and for good reason. I mean, we're not supposed to be locked indoors, you know, we we are social animals. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, you give such a, a, um, a hopeful example about how people can change and how we can change things around. We were hunting whales at, you know, crazy rates. We, we, we nearly brought them to extinction. And once we got the information and once the story was properly communicated to us, we did the right thing and we protected them. And I, I really want to believe that this is going to be the case for many other species. Uh, we are running out of time. There is a sense of urgency. But at the same time, I think that there was never a more exciting time to be a storyteller, whatever whatever kind of format you do. Uh, there, there's never been a more exciting time to tell stories and com- you know connect our you know humans to our deep deep connection, not only with the earth but with the planet and with the ocean as a whole. 
so yeah thank you so much for for having me today it was a real pleasure thank you roy i think i speak on behalf of all our audience uh, that it's been an absolute pleasure hearing from you today and obviously we'll be back next week with the human nature cast uh, so until then stay safe and do try and be a better animal thank you all and goodbye deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 